Well, how's everybody doing? You feeling good? Good, good, good. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, Q&A. We are in part four of a series called Q&A. If you have not been here, go. you can go get a free copy of last week's message. You can go and watch any of them online for free. And uh, we have one more week to go, and that's what I want to take a moment and talk to you about real quick here. We've been talking uh, over the last three weeks, and this week included, about the questions that I get from you on a regular basis. This stuff that is common to everybody. That's why um, I have people come to me after the last few weeks and be like, that, that was so for me. That was for most of us, I promise. And so and the reason why I know that is because when when people come and chat with me, we all ask categorically some of the same questions. So when we deal with something like stress or bouncing back from a failure, how do I deal with crisis? I mean, this is stuff that we all deal with. Everybody goes through this stuff. Um, today, I'm going to talk about something that I don't think as high a percentage of people deal with, but you might deal with at least once in your life, and I want you to be prepared for it. And secondly, I guarantee you, you're going to know somebody who deals with this, and I want you to know how to love and encourage them. And so anyway, uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. Everybody say next week. Next week is wide open Q&A. And so what that means is this, is I want your questions. How many of you have a question, something that's been like, what is this? Why is that there? What does the Bible say about this? I want to know about this. And so um, this is like random Q&A, anything goes, anything's on the table. And we have a box in the back where you can basically write out your question, throw it in the box, and next week I'll answer it um, to the utmost of my ability. We will even be able to take questions, I think, live next week, and I'll just answer those on the fly, and I'll do the best I can with those. And so anyway, next week. So how many got a question? You have a thought? You have a question? Okay. So all you have a question. You two don't have questions. You have questions about everything. Uh, you have a real question. <laughs> you have a question. Do not leave service without going back to that. There's a little, little there's a little key. See, there's a big Q&A back there. There's a little Q&A and there's a little yellow box. Go put your question in the box. Everybody say, okay. So anyway, today we're going to jump forward and get into a brand new question. And before we do, let's pray one more time before we really get in and begin. So bow your heads with me if you would. Father, we pray. God, let your word speak. Let the life of, of, of the Bible speak to us, God. Let the people of the Bible and their life, God, let us glean, let us learn, let us grow from what they saw, what they did, what they did well, what they did terrible, and let us grow from it, God. And so, God, we pray that you would be in here, God, that for some of us, God, you might need to bring some things up and bring some things to remembrance. For others, we, God, we need you to heal some things. And so, God, we just pray that you would do what it is that you do, the Holy Spirit, you would have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible and you want, you want to get there a little bit early, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19 because today we're going to talk about a man who battled depression. Um, I, I run into this from time to time. People in life deal with depression. It, it, roughly about any given percent of the time, at least 10% of the population is clinically depressed. Isn't that kind of odd to think about? So we can just go one, two, three, you, uh, one, two, three, you. And so at about any one given point in time, about, 10, about 30% of you at least will have some type of depression in your life. Um, some people have like minor bouts of depression. It comes for a moment and then it's gone. Other people seem to be depressed all the time. It's funny, too, because I, I, I did so much statistical study just to see, like, where does it come from? Why? What is it linked to? What's going on here? Because I have a belief, because I believe the Bible's been really, really wise and really, really on point for thousands of years. And I find that science is just kind of catching up to what the Bible's been teaching for a really, really long time. But there's, there's all these studies about, like, different people. Like, you're, you're much more likely to be depressed, uh, women, if, if, if there's a certain percentage of you that after pregnancy there's depression. There's a lot of chemical hormonal changes that are going on. If you've just been fired, that's it. That your, your depression goes up around the holidays, which we're about to get into. That's because you've got to hang out with your crazy family. Um, it's higher in women than it is in men. 
There's all these. And so when you read the, the, the medical people, when you, when you ask them why, they really don't have foolproof answers. They have roundabout answers. They've got, well, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it is true. Sometimes it's circumstantial. Sometimes there is something hormonal or chemical. But here's what, what I really found, and, and doctors will back this up too, is that so much of it actually has to do with your mind and what you think about and what you dwell on. And let me put it in these phrase, in this term right here, how well you manage your thoughts. That's really what this all comes down to. How well do you manage your brain? Because I mean, no, like sometimes life circumstances hit hard, but they're going to hit hard at some point. And that's, that's, that's life, isn't it? And, and guess what? It's not just going to hit your life. It's going to hit every one of us at some point in time. And so are we prepared for it? And are, do we have the ability to manage our thoughts when bad things happen? Are we able to manage our thoughts when the wrong type of thoughts creep in? Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. It literally means this. You take out the old, you put in something new. Because your mind is unable to consciously focus on more than about one thought at a time. And so many people would say, well, you've got to get rid of that thought. You can't think, you've got to get rid of that thought. That's not true. You can't get rid of a thought. You can only replace a thought. And your ability to become aware of what you're thinking about, to, as Corinthians would say, to capture that thought and then to replace that thought. This is how we talk about it. This is what we talk about, the idea of renewing your mind. And so much of, of depression comes from our ability to manage our thoughts. And I can show you this through the life of Elijah. Now, Elijah, if you don't know who he is, he's an Old Testament prophet. And he's, his life story is found in the book of First Kings. And he does some incredible things. He's, he's kind of like the representation of all the other prophets when you read the Bible. It talks about Moses and Elijah. Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And so Elijah, but here's the deal, though. Elijah had depression. As a matter of fact, M Moses battled depression too. Both, both of these men at some point in their life were like, God, this is awful. Just kill me. That's how bad it got for him. But I mean, again, this is, this is not totally uncommon. So if you've battled depression, if you're going through it right now, if you know somebody hit, I want you to lock in because there's some things that people do. Now, Elijah, the way it worked was this. Elijah was living in a time where there was a really, really wicked king named Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. So Ahab's the king, he's the dude, and then there's another name that you're going to be very familiar with, and you may not know why you're familiar with it, but her name was Jezebel. Everybody say Jezebel. Yeah, like that dirty Jezebel. And so uh, the, the, the place that, that that dirty Jezebel comes from is 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab was a king. He was the king of Israel, but he had married Jezebel, who worshipped foreign gods and idols and all kinds of other stuff. And she is known as being this manipulating, dominating woman that she really uh, ran the kingdom and bossed around Ahab. And so uh, Jezebel is kind of referred to as that, that kind of controlling spirit that always wants to be in control and take and rebellious and manipulative. And so that's where that whole phrase comes from. It comes from the person Jezebel. And so Jezebel, how many of you know if you are really, really needing to be in control and then a prophet comes along and tells you that everything you're doing is wrong and idolatrous and God's going to judge you? How many know that doesn't go over well at Thanksgiving when people show up and tell you that? And so basically there's a showdown even. There's one of the wildest stories of the Old Testament is where the prophets of Baal, which is who she worshipped and a bunch of other people in the area. It was a Canaanite deity. Uh, these guys have a showdown with Elijah. And Elijah says, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build an altar. 
We're going to kill a bull and put it on the altar and then, and we're going to pray and whoever's God answers by fire, that's the true God. It's, it's a crazy story. Like the prophets of Baal get up, start chanting, cutting themselves, nothing happens. And then Elijah gets up and he goes, well, I'm going to dump some water on mine. And there's a drought, by the way. Um, I mean, that's insensitive. And so he starts dumping water all over all over the sacrifice, they kind of have a little kiddie pool around the sacrifice. And so anyway, he prays, I think it's like a 16-word prayer, and then fire comes from heaven and sucks up and burns it all up. And so anyway, after that, a bunch of people die. It's, it's a crazy story. But it's on the heels of this story that Jezebel is so angry. And she basically says something like this, I'm going to kill you. That's basically what it says. I'm going to kill you. And so Elijah runs, and he is afraid. And so this is where we pick up the story. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19 that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went another day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. I don't know what that is. He sat down under it, and then he prayed that he might die. Just had a huge victory. But now he's now now Elijah, the Bible says in the book of James, James was talking about Elijah and he goes, hey, Elijah was a man just like everybody else. There was nothing special about him in and of himself. He was just a normal dude. And so we see that, like, you know, what? if he's a normal dude and he's depressed, then you know what? It's possible. It's possible for me to love God and still get depressed. It's possible for me to to read the Bible, to love Jesus, to have a relationship with God. And still it's possible doesn't mean that I want to stay there. I want you to stay there. It just means it's possible. And so basically the first thing that he does, remember I told you that the key to, to, to really battling depression, I believe, is your ability to manage your thoughts. And so what you find Elijah doing is everything in contradiction to that. The first thing he does is this, is he focuses on his feelings and certainly not the facts. Like he just won. He just had a huge national victory. All the people of Israel were talking about it. People had torn down the idols and were like, hey, we're going back to Yahweh. We're, this, we're all, it's on. And so he had just had this huge, incredible victory. But all he can focus on is what? His feelings. He goes, I'm afraid. His life had been threatened. He was exhausted. He was fatigued. He was a prime candidate for depression. And so he's focused on his feelings. This is, there's, a, there's a phrase for this. It's called emotional reasoning. You ever do that before? Girls, y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, I have a wife. Um, uh, y'all say stuff like, I just don't feel pretty. I feel heavy today. Look, you, look, you weighed the exact same yesterday as you did today. So the fact that you feel a certain way is completely irrelevant to what the number might show up on that scale. Does that make sense? Like the number is a fact. The feeling is something that's totally Subjective. It's not necessarily real. It's just the way that you feel. But if if you take your feeling and let that define your reality, then you're going to be eventually moving towards some type of state of depression. We do this all the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picking on my wife a little bit like we do. that. I, I know newlyweds. Well, I just don't feel married. Look, I was there. I did the vows. You're married. I signed legal documents. You are married. I don't care how you feel. Suck it up. You're married. So whatever you're feeling, if you allow that to dictate your behavior and you allow that to dictate your mood and you allow that to dictate, God forbid, your decision making, you're going to be in a world of hurt. We are not, as a matter of fact, the Bible is very, very clear that we are not emotion led people as Christians. We should be spirit led 
people as Christians. And so when we allow our emotions to dictate, here's another one. I, I don't, I don't really feel close to God. Let me tell you something. God's got this thing going. It's this divine thing. It's called omnipresence. He didn't go nowhere. He is at all places at all times. He did not leave you, I promise. David said, if I made my bed in hell, God would still be there before I even got there. And so your feeling close to God and your actual proximity to God, not the same. But again, when we have emotional reasoning, meaning like it is because I feel this way. Now, how many, it's got quiet up in this Methodist church because I think somebody would be like, hmm, I did that sometimes. I don't feel like a Christian. Well, the reason why you might not feel like a Christian is because some of the actions that you took brought about guilt in your life, and now that guilt makes you feel like you're no longer with Jesus. Let me help you out real quick here. That's irrelevant. And that type of backwards thinking will actually drive you further and further away from God, whereas what we actually want to do is, is here's a fact. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If I am a child of God, how then should I act? Not based on what I feel, but based on the fact that Jesus is my Savior. Are you with me now? This is the idea that he falls into. And again, here's, here's what he's doing. He's kind of putting his feelings out there. And that's kind of a, psycholo- a psychology thing. That this is why you can pay lots and lots of money to a person. And they'll put you on a couch. And they just want you to share your feelings. They want you to get in touch with your feelings. And, and that's not in, entirely bad. But it's not what the Bible would teach. The Bible would say, I don't. It's nothing wrong with you connecting with your feelings, but I don't want you to, to really get a good feel for your feelings and get in touch. I want you to get in touch with the truth. Because the Bible says that when you know the truth, that the truth, you know that scripture. So, so anyway, no, number one that he does is he focuses on his feelings and, and, and really not on the facts. Number two is this. Let's read 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. We're just going to drop down and keep reading the same verse. It says this. It says, I have had enough. <laughs> I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So the second thing he does, again, this is all thought management. He begins to compare himself to his ancestors. He starts thinking about the prophets that came before him and were like, well, they did a good job and they preached God's word. And then there was national revival and everybody followed them and everybody loved them. And everybody thought those guys were great. And then I'm the prophet that comes along and now they want to kill me. And so this is, this is the comparison trap, isn't it? Is that he begins to compare himself with other people. Which the Bible says is always unwise. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, I don't compare myself to nobody for nothing because to compare is unwise. But this is what we do. We start, you you don't ever do that, do you? You've never been on Facebook? Their life is so exciting. Like they only do amazing things. My life's not like that. My life's boring. I wish I could go there. Look where they ate. Look where they travel. Look at what they did. And like, dear God, get off Facebook. Okay, you're comparing your life to their highlight reel. Stop it. That's not what their life looks like. They still use the bathroom. They still sleep. They still put on clothing. They still, they still do normal things. They still go shopping at Target, not Walmart. And they, they can do all the normal things everybody else does. What you're doing is you're comparing your life to their highlight reel. It's unwise to do that. And so we start comparing to who they are. We start comparing to who, you know, not only who they are, but what they have. And when we compare, this is why Paul said comparison is always unwise. Because comparison, no matter what you do, if you win or lose, you lose. Does that make sense? Let me make sense like this. Let's say you compare what you've got to what they've got and what they've got is better. Then you feel bad, so you lose, right? But let's say you compare yourself to what they've got and your stuff is cooler than their stuff. So then now you 
you somehow leverage what you have and think you're, you still lose. And here's the other reality. At some point, somebody always has something cooler than you anyway. So no matter how, no matter how it goes, you're going to, it is unwise to compare yourself. Sometimes we compare, we, we start doing what I call shooting. Well, I should be able to do that. Well, I should be here in life. I should have those things. I should have been there by now. When we think about our career path, I, I should have been able to work that out. And we have all these different comparisons that we make. And all they do when we compare is eventually make us miserable. And this is what Elijah does. The first thing he does is it's all about my feelings. Secondly, it's all about who I'm comparing myself to. Very, very bad thought management. Next one is this. Verse number 10 says that he replied... This is, he was replying to God. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. What he's doing here is this. This is what we call taking false blame. Basically, what he was doing was saying, see God, I preached my guts out. I told him the truth. I tried to be the best prophet that I could be, and yet still they're crazy. They're still tripping, they're still idolatrous, they're still mean, they've still done all these bad things. And what he's doing is saying this. He's linking him being the prophet and their rebellion and saying, it's my fault. It's me. I'm the reason why. You never heard anybody do that before, right? Get all emotional and make it all about them. Like, you know, we were talking about this the other day. There was was a guy at the party and and we were like, oh, where's so-and-so? He's like, oh, I bet they didn't come because I'm here. No, they're sick. That's why they're not here. It's, it's not always all about you. Does that make sense? Like sometimes we, we, we think it's all our fault. Sometimes you do this. Other people are upset. I bet they're upset with me then. It's probably me. Like, like some coworkers in the office and they're upset. Oh, what did I do? It's all about me. And so like we, we just take on. And it, it, guess what? Let me help you out real quick here. All people are dysfunctional. Different levels of dysfunction. Don't get it wrong. But like sometimes people just have mood issues. Sometimes people are just tripping. Sometimes people are just angry. And it's not always your fault. So don't just assume that it's your fault and assume that somehow that failure and you are linked. It isn't always necessarily the case. And so, um, so, so again, he takes on false blame. Let's keep reading. In verse 10, the very same verse, he does the next thing. He goes, I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The last, last really bad thing he does in thought management is this, is, is he exaggerates the negative. You ever, you ever done that before? Like, this is horrible. This is the worst day ever. It's ruined. It's awful. I'll never recover. You, you ever get like that? Like you, draw, you, you drama queen. Over the top. Crazy. It's like the worst thing in the world. Anything goes bad, it's the worst. No, it's not. It's not that big of a deal. I promise. See, what, what, what he was doing was saying this. It's all bad. It's all terrible. I'm the only one left. And God's rebuttal was, no, you're not. I got like 7,000 other people who've never worshipped Baal. They're ready to go. You ain't the only one. You're tripping. But when we have bad thought management, we again, we think it's always us. It's always our fault. We're at the centerpiece somehow. We exaggerate what's bad. This is what you do. You make comments, comments that sound like this right here everybody's against me. All right, look, I'm not against you. So now everybody's not against you. There's at least one person that loves you. I love you. So everybody's not against you. Nothing ever works out for me. I never catch a break. Nobody likes me. I I like you. All right, now there's one person. This always happens to me. 
Y'all are quiet up in here. Am I touching a cord? I don't understand. We're talking about other people, right? We're talking about other people. Um, get back with me. Come back. Come back. Exaggerate the negative. And again, this all comes back to how well do you manage your thoughts? Because sometimes chemicals and emotions are going to be crazy. Sometimes circumstances are going to be bad. Here's a truth that the Bible teaches. That people who experience joy in life don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. They just think differently. They manage their thoughts well. They don't exaggerate everything. They don't take personal blame for everything. Everything is not always the worst ruin. They don't compare themselves to other people. They practice thought management, meaning God's given me my thoughts. And here's how the enemy works, too. We have a spiritual enemy, and I love the way he works. If it goes back to Genesis chapter 3, what you'll find is this, is that Satan has the most uh, subtle way of just dropping in a thought. So when he's talking to Eve in the garden, he just... And his thought wasn't even a thought. It was a question to get you to think about something. Boop. Did God really say? Boop. And so sometimes your brain, you got all kinds of bad things around you. So-and-so did this. So-and-so said, Boop. I wonder if they're upset because of you. <gasps> oh, my God. Boop. That's really awful. It is awful. It is the worst ever. And so... Those people who know how to have joy in life and happiness in life know how to manage their, so that boop, you're like, wait a minute. No, that's not true because I'm, I, I'm not buying a lie when I know the truth. The truth sets me free. And the Bible says this. And so um, I'm spirit led. I'm, I'm scripture founded. And therefore, these weird little thoughts don't penetrate my little brain and make me a wreck of a person. Thought management. Now, here's what I want you to see, and we're going to look at the last part of the story here, is that God actually has a prescription for how you handle depression. It's probably not what you thought it was. Let's read. So the Bible says he exaggerates, takes false blame. He's focused on his feelings. Okay, so this is what God says. Number one is this. Take care of your physical needs. Y'all didn't expect that, did you? You're like, hmm? Yeah, take care. Listen to what he says. All at once, 1 Kings 19, verse 5. All at once, an angel touched Elijah... And said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Where did that come from? Just a thought. He ate and drank and then he laid down again. Because <laughs> when you're depressed, you just want to take a good nap. Forever. Um, the angel of the Lord came back a second time. Get up and eat because the journey you're about to go on, it's too much for you. I want you to notice this, is that God's first prescription for you battling and overcoming depression was to take care of your physical needs. You need to eat, you need to drink, and you need rest. And if you don't have those things, battling depression is going to be ten times harder. Like there is, there is a link between depression and obesity. There is a link, I'm telling you, there's a link between when your physical body, when we talk about the chemical and the hormonal element of our body that does sometimes affect our moods, I'm telling you, the better that we take care of our body with a great diet, go eat some of them kale chips, some great, drink a lot of water, when you take care of your physical body, it is only going to help you. Many of us, we do not get enough sleep at night, we stay up too late, we get up too early, we drive our bodies too hard, we do not eat well, the drive through is our friend, and, and when then we wonder why we battle depression. I'm telling you, there is a link there. And so God's first prescription was simply this, take care of your physical body. Number two is this, 
First Kings chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. I want you just to get an idea of what's going on here. So again, he got up, he ate, he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. That must have been an incredible meal. Um, <laughs> until he reached Horeb, which was called the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, what? Are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been zealous for the Lord. Remember, he, he says all this stuff. For the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one nef- left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Here, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the entire time that Elijah is venting his feelings, that never once does God really come in and stop him. In the end, he gives him assignment. And I'm going to show you that in just a second. And I want to give you this thought here. I want you to be able to give your frustrations to God. Because God can handle them. Like God is not afraid of your emo moment. God is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your frustrations. He's not afraid of your anger. I mean, think. imagine the most secure being possible in the universe. And then God's more than that. So God is able to handle your funky mood is my point. Like God can handle you being upset and you being frustrated. David might be the best example of this. When you read the Psalms, many of him, uh, many of the Psalms is just David kind of like, why God, why did the nations rage and why did you forsake me and why is this going on? And the world, and, and so David just has these emo moments where he lets it all hang out. And I want you to know this. I want you to know that God doesn't want you to just stew in your emotions, but rather what I want you to do is give your frustrations to God and then move on. Listen to what Peter says. He kind of describes it like this. It's very, very simple. He says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Like literally, I want you to pick them up off of you. I want you to give them to the Lord and be like, okay, them, them are yours now. Have fun. Cast them upon the Lord. Why? Because God loves you. Like God's for you. God knows you're tripping. God's not afraid of your wacky moods. Like he knows he made you. As a matter of fact, the book of Psalms says really, really, uh, it's almost almost part insulting, I almost feel like. And it says that God pities us because he knows we are made of dust. Thanks, I guess. Like like God knows. God knows you got your moments. God knows you got your bad days. God knows when you're in a mood. Give your frustrations to God. And here's, here's what I want you to do. One of the most powerful questions you can ask is this right here. When you give your frustrations to God, it is okay for you to say, God, I feel like this. God, I feel like this is going on. God, I don't understand this. God, I don't. And so, God, I'm giving these to you. And one of the most powerful questions you can ask when you vent to God is ask yourself the question this. God, is it okay for me to feel this way? God, is it okay for me to feel this way? Because most of the time, I feel like God then speaks back to me and says, no. And then there's a truth from Scripture that corrects and helps me manage my thoughts as to why I'm being funky and I'm in a mood and I'm just being emo and his truth realigns me so that I don't fall off into a pit of depression. So the question is this, is it okay for me to feel this way? I had this the other day. Um, I had a, and it wasn't a church meeting. It was a, it was a meeting with a business that we had to, uh, to do some stuff with. And they got up on my nerves. 
like the way, like the woman was pushy about the meeting and wanted me to do the meeting so bad. And I tried to reschedule and she was real pushy about the time and the slot. And I had, I was wanting to go have lunch with like a church member and it did. And so I had to cancel this because of her. And then she shows up. It's literally a five minute meeting that was so pointless. You can see I'm still upset about it. And it was so, it was so like, and I, at the end of the meeting, I got up and I walked to every one of the staff. I'm like, do you know what just happened to me? Do you, and I had like a vent session. You ever do that? Like, don't be careful. There's a good way to do it. Like, don't, don't dump it on them, but just, just let, let them be a sounding board. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, what in the, you know, then I, I, I probably had some colorful language. Maybe I don't even know, but I was so upset. I was so angry with this person who had, because ro- there's nothing worse than somebody robbing me of my time for stupidity. Like, that's the most annoying thing for me. I, I don't know what it is. And so I just had this big, huge vent fest. And my staff all knew it too. They're like, man, he's tripping. And then I had to step back. Because again, how long you want to live there? How long you want to stay in that mood? How long you want to live with that stuff? And so I step back. Okay, God. And I allow his truth to align my thoughts. And I ask a simple question, God, is it okay for me to feel this way? And it's, it's usually it's no. Move on. You got more important things to do. No, move on. And I, let's keep going. So first Kings chapter 19. So, so number one is this, is, is take care of your physical needs. Take care of your physical body. Give your frustrations to God. Don't stew in them. Give them away. Thirdly is this. Let's read the scripture. The Bible says, this was what God told Elijah. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This ought to get good. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Can you imagine the sight? But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The other translation of the Bible says a still, small voice. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine you're in your vent mode, you're in your weepy emo mode, you're complaining and crying and whining about everything that's bad in the world, your thoughts have totally gotten the best of you, and God said, okay, shh, watch watch this. And all of a sudden there's a wind that's so fierce it breaks the rocks, and then there's an earthquake. How many of you have experienced an earthquake? That's kind of eerie feeling, I'm not down with that. And and then there's a fire, And, 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 and all of that to show the power of God and how great and how big that he is, just to let you know, like, I'm in control. Look, if I control wind, fire, and earthquakes, I can control your little world, I promise. But he was not even in those things. So you get a glimpse of God showing a display of his power, and then he comes in with a still, small, gentle whisper of a voice To let you know, not only am I incredibly big and great and awesome, but I am very, very close and personal and compassionate. Like, I can be huge. I can be close. And you know what I think? I think what you really need is this, and I've experienced this in my own life, is you need to get a fresh perspective from God. That whatever situation it is that might be calling you to be funky and causing you to be depressed, that God is bigger than it all. And not only is he bigger than it all, but he is close enough to be personal. And when you are in awe of God, have you ever had an awe moment? You ever had a moment where you were in awe of who God was and how great that he was? And I guarantee you, to be in awe of God and to be depressed are mutually exclusive locations. You cannot be 
captured by the presence of God and be in awe of God. And have that, and if you know what I'm talking about, you have a feeling of like being enlightened almost like, oh my God, you cannot be there and be in a state of depression at the same time. So the answer for your depression is not only to take care of your physical health, not only to give your frustrations to God, but to actually get a brand new perspective of who God is and be in awe of Him. Because to be in awe of Him is to be incredibly distant from a place of depression. It's hard to be both at the same time. Lastly is this. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. So after this incredible display of power and closeness, the Lord said to him, so here's what we're going to do. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint that guy, the king of that place, and then anoint that guy, the son of that guy, to be king over Israel, and then anoint Elisha, the son of that guy from that place, to succeed you as prophet. I didn't even want to try it. I just butcher them. Somebody, some Bible scholar would make fun of me later. Um, here, here's what I want to get you to see. Like, did you notice what he told him to do? Just get busy on mission. Get busy with a purpose. Find some work to do and I'm going to give it to you. And this is what I really want you to know is this. is If you want to break depression over your life, you need to get a new direction for your life. Like there is a link to job loss. There is a, a link, especially in men, to not working and depression. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because you were made to work. And work is good. Like sometimes we have a weird thing in America right now where we want to be entitled to everything. No, no, no. Work is good. God made you for work. Go back to the book of Genesis. God makes man. Mm, get to work. And you need a woman because you're lost. And now I want you together to work. Work is good you need to embrace that like god made you for work hey guess what when you get to heaven it's not going to be like floating around on clouds uh like little chubby babies with wings it's not going to be like that as a matter of fact if you if you study uh your heavenology what you'll find is this is that we don't live forever in heaven actually god brings heaven to earth he recreates the earth and we live here forever does that make sense so like there's going to be stuff to do I know eternity is an unfathomable idea, unfathomable, unfathomable idea, but work is good. And so you know what? And I'm not saying busy. I'm not saying just go out and put 20,000 things on your plate because I teach margin and pace. But you need to be on mission. You need to be on point. What are you doing with your life? Here, here's a great question to ask. Where does my life add value to someone else? Where does my life give dignity to someone else? How is my life making a difference beyond the time span of this date, this date, and the dash in the middle? Where will my legacy be? What work will I have done here that might affect eternity? What work have I done here that might affect generations to come. Because that's the type of mission that God wants every one of you to be on. You are all having a, a purpose laid out before you that God wants you to seize and take hold of. The Apostle Paul said this. He goes, I have taken hold of that which has taken hold of me. Meaning like God took a hold of me so that I could get a hold of that. And I'm on point and I'm on mission. What are you doing with your life? Not to be busy for the sake of busy, but like let's make a kingdom difference. Let, let me let me explain it like this. We, we went down to uh, uh, did a little project called uh, Kids Against Hunger. And we're going to go do it again in January. So get ready to sign up. Um, but when we when we went down there, I, I'm, do you even remember how many? I mean, we were counting like we did more than all these churches and all these. But we were we were so excited about how much work we had done, how many food packets we had made, how many kids we were going to feed. It's hard. It's all I'm saying. It's hard to come home. Like what did you do today? 
I fed 10,000 kids, but I'm depressed. Those are two different places to be in. It is hard to say I fed people who wouldn't have, I fed them today and be in a place of depression. Those are mutually exclusive places in life, aren't they? So what does God want you to do? God wants you to manage your thoughts well. Like be careful of where your mind goes when bad things happen or when circumstances hit. And, and, and when things, your chemicals are on. I know it's there. I want you to do the best job you can of renewing your mind, of establishing your mind in truth. That for every problem, there's a promise. For every type of issue in life, there's a scripture, there's a truth that tackles it. And I want your mind to be rooted and grounded. I want you to manage your thoughts well. But beyond that, I want you to take care of your physical body. Your body matters. Don't become one of those Christians that thinks, oh, well, this body doesn't matter because of this is it. No, it does matter. God gave you a body so that you could fulfill the mission. And if your body's lagging and dragging and you can't do the mission that God's given you, there's a disconnect there. Your body is the vehicle that God gave you to use on this earth as long as you're here. So as long as you got life and mission and purpose, you need that body to go and you need it to go well. Can I get an amen? Like that thing needs to work like a, like a well-oiled machine. I want it to go. That way, any point in time, I can do anything, go anywhere, serve anybody, take care of whatever it is that God places in front of me. Take care of your physical body. Get some rest. Take care to, to give your frustrations to God, not to stew in them, to transfer them. To put yourself in a place where every once in a while you get a new glimpse of who God is. Some of you have been serving God for like 10 and 20 and 30 years. Let, let me tell you something real quick here. Do you really think that you figured out all of who God is yet? Do you think you got to the bottom of God? Like you discovered, oh, I'm telling you, there's more to discover. And when you find more of who God is, and as God unravels and reveals himself, and you get a new perspective of who God is, you get kind of like as you turn the thing, you see a new fractal of who God is, and you discover something new. It's hard to be in awe of God and be depressed. It is hard to be on mission, doing kingdom eternal work. It's hard to be there. And be in a place of depression. So if you're in here today, I want, I want you to know like God's got a prescription. And it's going to be tough. Because sometimes it, it, it takes this strength and energy. If you notice, the first time the angel tapped on Elijah, he just went back to bed. I know it's going to be hard to shake it off. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's possible. And I'm saying that with God's help and God's strength, that all things are possible. That you can do all things through him who strength, that you can do this. But you can't keep stewing and you can't keep letting your mind race away with you. You have got to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit and let him lead you out of that place of depression. And if you know or have a loved one that is in that place of depression, I want you to begin to pray for them because there's spiritual warfare at play. I want you to get them this copy of the CD. I want you to love them. I want you to take care of them. I want you to help them take on these things that we talked about today because God does not want you to live in a place called depression. Let's pray this morning. So, Father, we, we pray this morning that, God, that you would help us. There are some of us in here today, and it, it might be mild, it might not be that big of a deal, but, God, they're battling it. Some of them are in here today, and they go in ups and downs, and ups and downs, and sometimes days are good, and sometimes days they go right back to where they were. Some of them may be in a place of deep depression. So, God, we pray, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray, God, that you would heal. We pray that you would restore. God, we pray that you would help us to renew our mind. God, you're not going to renew our mind. Give us the strength, the wisdom, and the help to do it ourselves. God, help us to get into the scriptures, to build our life on those truths so that we could renew our mind. 
Father, we pray, God, that you would do something miraculous in us. And so that, God, we could be the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That, God, you would help us to break out of depression so that we could be the salt of the earth. God, we need to break out of depression so that we can get back to kingdom business. So that we can make an eternal difference in the world around us. God, we pray that you would help us, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And we all said, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?